because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome German national team head coach Gordon Herbert to the Basketball Podcast. Herbert has extensive experience having coached throughout Europe, most notably in the German League and the EuroLeague, and in the NBA as an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors and the Georgian national team and the Canadian national team. In September 2021, he was named head coach of the German national team. He guided the German team to a bronze medal at the 2022 European Championships. He also has coaching titles, winning the Basketball Bundesliga in 2003-2004, the FIBA Euro Cup in 2015-2016, the French Cup in 2006-07, and the Finnish Cup in 2009. Coach Herbert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, great to have you here. And, uh, you know, where to start? I mean, let's start, first of all, congratulations, Braun Medal 2022 European Championships. And you've been involved with national teams at different levels and different situations as both a head coach and assistant. And uh, this must have been special for you. Yeah, it was very special, um, spe- you know, especially playing Eurobasket in Germany. And, uh, you know, nobody really had us rated in the top eight or nine. And, you know, it was, we just, we just had a really good group of players. And, uh, um, yeah, we, I think the biggest thing is we, we became together as a team and made a commitment and, uh, we, I think we had three or four players go down with injuries in the process and all did rehab and all came back. And uh, I think that showed a lot about the, the players we had. Yeah, it was tremendous. Enjoyed watching your team play. And uh, Franz Wagner, one of your players, said that about you, he says he knows exactly how to approach different types of players in order to get something across. And I've heard you talk about this before, the importance of roles and identifying roles. And especially in short tournaments like this, it's extra important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have it. You have your rules, but you gotta, um, you gotta deal with each player individually, so to speak. And uh, you know, we have we have uh, goal performance goals identity. Um, I'm big on roles. We go through roles, and uh, um, yeah, it's just about getting everybody on the same page. And and you know, I think the players knew where they stood. And, uh, I mean, we were missing four of our NBA players also because of injuries or contracts. Um, But with that being said, our 10th, 11th, 12th men were very, very important in this tournament. They were great, great in the locker room, great teammates, able to accept a role of not playing. And, uh, obviously, you know, Dennis Schroeder, Franz Wagner, Daniel Tice. Um, You know, we we had really really good leadership with Johannes Folkman. Um, so, you know, it was an honor to, to coach this group. And uh, from day one, we had guys make a commitment. Nobody was late. Everybody was on time. Um, only Wilder Bab had a family issue, which, you know, put him back a couple weeks. Um, but, um, you know, players made a sac- tremendous sacrifice and made a commitment. Talk to me about, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the talented players that played and uh, talk to me about the balance between 
organization and creativity because you have to account for both in these type of tournaments, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, I think the better the better players you have, the more freedom you got to give their creativity. And um, you know, you know, um, you know, with with Franz Wagner and Dennis Schroeder, you know, to a certain extent, you you give them the green light offensively. Um, you know, they they have to have confidence in you too, because you know, you come to the last five minutes of a basketball game, you're going to probably need one of these two guys to make a play. Um, or, or make a play for somebody else, and they have to have that confidence. And uh, um, I mean, I thought I thought Dennis was outstanding as as the tournament went on. He deferred more to France. Um, you know, he deferred to Andy Opes when Andy got going. Um, you know, he didn't have to be the man every time down the floor or, or every game or every quarter. You know, he really deferred to others. Yeah. And but at the same time, he was also capable of taking over the game. So let, let's go a little deeper into that then in terms of uh, how you would approach this or how you suggest we would approach this in terms of balancing that organization and allowing for individual creativity. Are you starting from a structure and then from that structure, then gradually encouraging that freedom and creativity? Yeah, we actually teach offensive concepts before we teach plays. Um, so we put our concepts in, in four on zero, five on zero, with ball screens, without ball screens. And, and then when we put our plays in, our idea is, you know, we want to start properly. We want to stay organized. When we feel we have an advantage, now we're playing basketball. Now we're out of the play, and now we're playing with our concepts, which is a lot about angles and spacing. Um, so, you know, basically that's how we, we do it. Um, the more talented teams you have, the less less offensive um, plays you need. Talk to us a little bit about angles, because I think most of us understand the concept of spacing. But talk to talk to us about what you mean about angles when you're developing this. You know, every, everybody's got to move. We run a ball screen, say one five, run a ball screen. Um, we're rolling front rim. The other three players have to create an angle, um, and it just depends. It, it, de- it depends if um, you're going towards that or away from it. Um, and this is what we do four on zero. We create angles. And the whole idea is when we create angles on the strong side, we cannot let one person guard and help. On the weak side, we cannot let one one person guard two. And, you know, a lot of it's, I think, angles and spacing come together, so to speak. And, you know, we talk about angles setting a ball screen. Um, you know, if a team is a hard show and they're helping from the two bottom, the two man side, you know, what kind of angle are we rolling at? Um, or, or we're running a short roll, different things like that. And, uh, um, so we, we spent, we spend a lot more time on our concepts than we do our plays actually. So how do you evolve it then from the four on O and the five on O in terms of again, teaching them those concepts within decision-making relative to a defender? Yeah, I mean, when we teach 4-0, not only teaching our offensive concepts, we're teaching our offensive rebounding and our defensive transition. So we're teaching all three three things in, in one drill. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, 4-0, four, 5-0, four on zero, four on you know, reject a ball screen, use a ball screen. Um, you know, how we come, how we come off screens. 
And, um, you know, we really, we, we start from scratch on it, four on zero. And we go through it and we build and we build and we build. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot from Nick Nurse when I worked with Nick with this. Um, he did a lot of four on zero, a lot of, a lot of triggers. And, you know, I took kind of what I was doing in FIBA before that and took some of what he was doing. And I put, you know, I put it and I kind of put together a, a new package, you know, you know, some from Nick Nurse, from, some from Kenny Atkinson, some I did in the past and, and put together a new package of a four on zero, five on zero. So you talked about connecting, obviously, uh, defensive rebounding and transition defense. So does that mean after like a shot, you're transitioning the other way to be able to account for those uh, two other things? Yeah, we're pretty black and white on what we do in offensive rebound, defense, and transition. I think you know, in certain things, you got to be you got to be black and white. There are there are no exceptions. When a shot goes up, we rebound below foul on extended. Um, we crash the boards. Um, guys from coming from the corners. We love corners, but we don't stay in corners. Um, so we crash foul line, below foul line extended. The exception is if it's a four man out top. And he feels he can get it. He goes 100% where he gets back. And then the two players in our slot are responsible for basketball going down to the other end. Um, so it's, you know, we, we teach this pretty, pretty clearly. Um, we give freedom in the offensive end. We do not give freedom on offensive glass, defensive transition. Uh, we score. We have a pickup point. We miss. We're five guys inside the three-point line. And now we build. We command the ball and we build. Well, I love this. And so so it's not a specific player. It's not say the point guard has to get back. It's the two players in the high slots. Two players in the high slots. We found out some of our best offensive rebounders are our guards. Just guards don't box out. And uh, and the ability for our guards coming out of the corners to chase down long rebounds. And, off you know, off long rebounds, we're looking for a quick putback. Uh, we feel we have three, four seconds, or we're looking to kick, come behind, move the ball, look for an uncontested three. If not, we're setting up with about eight, nine seconds. That's great stuff. And um, you, you mentioned triggers and the influence of Nick Nurse. I want to come back to the Nick Nurse influence a little bit, but just staying on triggers a little bit. Talk to us more about some of these, because triggers can be caused by spacing, by personnel, uh, by being neutral with the defense. So what are some of the things that cue the triggers for you within your concepts? You know, we really when we come down, we um, and we run the same we run the same um, concepts in our attack break, our fast break, um, secondary break. I'm, I haven't been big on a secondary break, but I did do it with the national team because of our talent. And um, and you know, a lot of times you want to score in the first se six seconds you have the ball, the highest percentage. Now the next six seconds, so. Um, you know, the trigger, triggers we run are, are, are real simple. We want to create gaps. We want to create gaps where we can penetrate. And, um, um, you know, we want to get paint touches. And, you know, a lot of the triggers, it, it might be a quick, quick ball screen or, or a run, what we call a run screen. Um, and it can, it can be a quick ball movement, side, moving the ball to the one side to the other for a quick side, side pick and fade. We're actually we're looking to reject that ball screen and look to attack. So, um, yeah, and I mean Nick ran a lot more lot more triggers than I did, and um, I tried to keep things real simple in what we're doing. Um, and 
And whereas in the NBA, they, you know, they don't roll front rim much. They keep it open. We roll front rim. We seal front rim. Um, um, you know, we want deep catches. I mean, FIBA is a little bit different. You know, I coached in Russia a couple of years ago. You know, I think I saw more post-ups in one game than I saw in the first, in about 10, 15 games in the NBA. So, I mean, FIBA basketball is, is quite different. Um, you know, with the German national team, we have a, I thought we had a real good advantage because our NBA players grew up playing FIBA basketball. Mm. Whereas in Canada, the NBA players grew up playing usually AAU basketball. So it's quite easy for NBA players to come back to the FIBA system. And, um, you know, I thought that was a big advantage with uh, Schroeder and Tice. Well, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but one of the reasons why Canada has developed so many NBA players, but hasn't necessarily had the international success yet, right? Right. No, I think, um, you know, I, I think adversity, failure is good. And I think, I think um, we as Canada have, have gone through that. And um, I think you're going to see big things from Canada in the next year or two. I would agree. I would agree in terms of that. And uh, another part of concepts, which is big nowadays, is obviously cutting off the ball. Can you give us some ideas of some of the things that trigger cuts off the ball within your concepts? Um, yeah, you know, we, we cut we cut off the ball. As soon as we see a person's back, we're a cutter. If somebody's going to stunt, hey, we think about cutting. Um, you know, if if running running a shake ball screen which is towards the two-man side um if that if that high slot guy is going to come in and help hey, hey we have a counter to it either we're going to cut the corner guy and fade the slot guy or we're going to cut the the slot guy so um for me i just you know it's it's all about you can't you can't let one guy on the strong side guard and help and anytime that happens, anytime somebody guards and helps, we're changing the angle or we're a cutter. And, and you've talked about that a little bit already in this concept of we don't want one defender on the weak side to be able to cover two. And you talked about angles and spacing and now cutting. So give us the counter to that, because obviously basketball is a little bit of a game of opposites. So you're talking about how to create that offensive advantage. What are some things defensively to take away that advantage in that two on one on the weak side? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think coach, coaching in the windows, coaching the summer is a little bit different. I mean, in the windows, um, we're more of a flat up-to-touch screen. Um, there's not many guys in the windows in Europe that can really make plays for themselves and make for others, but there's a lot of outstanding shooters. Um, we play a little bit like a little bit the NBA way, defensively in, in the windows. Um, you know, I, and I, I think, you know, our, we, we have our main ball screen defense and then our second one is switching. Um, and then when we switch, we're not in an overhelp situation. We're playing that guy one-on-one. -on -one. We're not overhelping, giving up a three. We're going to contest the shot. We're going to contest it at the rim. And um, so, I mean, basically that's what we've done defensively. Um I mean, I, I took from Nick Nurse playing straight up. I was always no middle. Um, you know, I went straight up because straight up you can you can hard show, you can up to touch, you can switch, you can do different things ball screen with ball screen defense. And today you're seeing 90% of the time in Europe um, people running a ball screen or a post-up. 
you know, I, I think it's tough to play ball screen defense the same way for 40 minutes. Agreed. And uh, talk to us a little bit about that straight up philosophy, because uh, we've heard that other times on the podcast, especially from professional coaches. Um, it seems pretty straightforward in terms of when the ball's on top to play straight up. Talk to us about the adjustment on the wings, because a lot of players, again, used to forcing a direction. What type of cues are you giving them in terms of their stance to be able to cover straight up? Yeah, I mean, I always used to be um, straight up in the middle, you know, straight up in the middle on the side where we're no middle, but no quick baseline. So that, you know, the footwork was really important on the side. Um, in the side, we just talk about heel-toe. Um, put whichever whichever foot is comfortable. We want as wide a base as we are quick. And we want to create a presence on defense. Presence on defense. And our big contain the dribble. Our whole thing is contain the dribble, contain the first step. Um, no direct line drives. And, you know, you can't take away everything defensively. And, you know, we really work on where our balance is and our stance, head straight down, wide base as possible, and create a presence. You, you have to create a fear factor into that offensive player, hey, that you can guard them. And we, we do work on technique. I took a lot of technique from Ken Shields a long time ago. And we do work on technique because I think technique helps an average defender um, get more confidence that he can play people. And, you know, confidence is a big factor on the defensive end, just like it is shooting the basketball. Absolutely. And so, some of it is perception, right? In terms of that technique is to make yourself seem like you're closer or to seem like you're a better defender than you actually are. So can you dive into that? Because I, if I know one thing about Ken Shields, and for those that don't know him, one of the greatest coaches in the history of Canadian basketball, uh, technique was king for him, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, he's a, I mean, I learned so much from Ken. I mean, Ken was with me in 2003 with Frankfurt, uh, with the Georgian national team. When I coached in Greece, he came over. Came over. And, you know, he, he was really my mentor. I learned so much from him. Um, unbelievable teacher. Unbelievable knowledge of basketball. And he could teach it. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things I took from him is uh, you got to have knowledge. But, knowledge and then you got to learn how to teach it and uh to a certain extent as, as a coach we have to be able to teach what we want the players to do and um yeah so i mean i just i forgot what your question was sorry well it's great because i mean we can go down memory lane about ken shields and and the detail and that's definitely what i always remember about ken is how much detail he could get into for example about something like defensive stance and, and what I'm curious about, maybe with you now in reflection on some of those details and applying them uh, to certain players, do certain players need those details and other players don't need those details as much? Absolutely. I mean, I've had a couple of players in, in, in Europe who were athletic, physical, and, you know, could really play defense. And sometimes the more you did with them, the, the worse they got. They started thinking too much and but then there's some players that really, you know, they really need it. And um, so, it, you know, it's a little bit about shooting. Do you change the shot? Um, what do you do? Um, and, you know, we always try to develop the individual. Um, and people say, well, you develop the individual in the summertime and team in the winter. We, we develop the individual year round. We're working with the individual. Um, and the best thing with individual practice is you develop confidence. You give them confidence. You're working with them, um, and 
so we, we really worked on that. Not only shooting the basketball, but our defensive stance, our post stance, um, closeouts where our hands were, um, you know. Yeah, and yeah, getting back to Ken Shields really quick. I mean, Canada's been blessed. They had Ken Shields, and they have Dave Smart um, and Carlton. Canada's been blessed with two pretty good, two of the outstanding coaches in North America, and I don't think Canada realizes that yet. <laughs> they probably um, don't, but uh, and and we have coaches like yourself that have done this for a really long time at a lot of great levels too. Yeah, I mean, I was I was really blessed to get a couple of Dave Smart's players. I had Phil Scrubs, I had Aaron Dornicamp. Um, you know, down to earth, easy to coach, um, just great individuals and in coming out of that system. And uh, I mean, Aaron Dornicamp's probably, you know, as far as foreigners go, he's probably the best, the most professional, best person I've ever coached. Tremendous. And uh, I was at Queens in Kingston when Aaron was coming up. So uh, yeah. definitely I know that. And I tried to recruit him and I, hard to get him away from Dave, obviously. So I understand. <laughs> yeah. But uh, tremendous. And just, uh, again, part of the tremendous Canadian basketball history. And, uh, I mean, Ken Shields, we talked about that. Um, talk to me as well about the influence of hockey a little bit, because I know you're a passionate hockey fan, too. Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing hockey. And uh, actually, when I started coaching the German national team about 14 months ago, 15 months ago, um, I watched more hockey than I did basketball. You know, I get up at four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I watch the Canucks play. Um, you know, I grew up a Montreal fan before the Canucks came in and then the Canucks. And, uh, you know, hockey's something I can sit back and enjoy. And, you know, I used to play up to I was about 15 years old. And I remember growing up in Penticton, going out in the, on the on the lakes and clearing ice and uh, clearing the snow away. And we play three on three hockey, four on four hockey. Um, you know, when I went to Finland, when I was in the early 20s, I played hockey over here on the outdoor ranks in Finland with the Finns. Um, so I really, you know, I've, I grew up playing hockey, you know, it was my favorite sport. Um, and uh, it's something I can really sit back and enjoy watching. I get too intrigued with the Canucks a little bit. Um, they're too much in the press right now for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I love hockey too. I grew up playing hockey, so I know what you're talking about. And there's a certain mystique and allure to it that's so attractive. And uh, so it's something where you watch and you're able to take off your coaching hat and just enjoy it. Or has hockey been something you've dove into a little bit in terms of helping your coaching? No, I've, you know, I've, I wish I could dive into the coaches a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I feel for Bruce Boudreaux right now with the Canucks, with the management kind of going at him out in the press. As a coach, as a coach, you know, you feel that. And you you kind of feel feel for him what he's going through right now. Um, you know, I think I think management with coaching, it's pretty tough. Um, you got everybody going at you from different angles nowadays. Um, you know, to a certain extent, if you can't take criticism, you can't coach. Um but also you want your management, your president to support you in the public 100%. And to me, if, when you can't do that, you got to fire them. And obviously behind doors, you can, you have those discussions. But I don't think you have discussions out in the press. I mean, the other spectrum is basketball with the Brooklyn Nets this year. Um, Steve Nash went through a lot this summer. But you know what? Management ownership stood behind him, stood behind him, backed him up. 100% out in the press. 
And I think when they couldn't do that anymore, they fired them and uh, uh, get, give their management a lot of credit. And um, so I think all of us coaches, it doesn't matter if we're in hockey, football, basketball, we're kind of all in the same boat, you know, in, in, in this way. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we're in a possession where, you know, we're, we're in a profession where we're going to get fired. You know, things are going to happen. We're going to face adversity. We're going to go through tough times. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in adversity, going through tough times. Um, players going through adversity. I'm a big believer in that because you don't get where you're going to get to without going through adversity. Well, and you can speak to that with your professional career. I mean, you've been hired and you've been fired, and that's part of it. And then any advice to coaches in terms of dealing with some of that adversity? Um. Yeah, my my good my good friend Jerry Bestlink, we played on the Canadian team in the 1980s together. Um, he came to Finland and played, and he still lives in Finland. And um, he gave me the best advice when I was a young coach. He said, um, you know, listen, but stay with what you believe in. Do what you believe in. And if you go down, you're going to go down in what you believe in, not what somebody else wants you to do. And um, you know, when other coaches ask me different things, that's the advice I give them. Um, you know, develop your philosophy. Um, believe in yourself. Um, believe in what you're doing. Do what you're going to do. And if you're going to go down, you're going to go down doing what you do, not, not somebody else's way. Hey, Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about BasketballMersion.com. Get the most out of yourself and your players. Since 2014, thousands and thousands of coaches have become members of our community. We would love for you to join too, but don't just take our word for it. Listen to what a recent new member told us. I subscribed to Basketball Immersion on Monday. What an awesome site. Beats the crap out of Netflix. And here's what a long-term member told us. BDT and eliminating the fluff has been the reason we have become successful as a program. A Basketball Immersion membership has been our secret weapon. What are you waiting for? It's time to next level your players and team. Join our membership community at www.basketballimmersion.com. We look forward to sharing everything with you. I know you're a big, big in this now is that, uh, you know, you're big working and developing younger coaches in Europe and the, I think it's the FACC program. Uh, first of all, can you talk about that? And then I want to ask you a few questions about that because uh, that's, that's quite the thing in terms of you being able to give back now to so many coaches. Yeah, I actually started in 2008. Um, it was, I think it was the first year. And, uh, you know, um, uh, Coach Pesic, um, the Serbian national team coach, is one of the most famous coaches in Europe, started it up with Michael Schwartz from Germany. And back then it was just taking one coach from every federation in Europe on a three-year program. And, uh, um, you know, there was a group of us, about six coaches, we came in, we gave lectures. And, on-court lectures, um, group lecture, group things in, in the classroom. Um, really, really where it was, uh, you know, developing coaches and coaches could learn. And, and, uh, and, and there was a great group of coaches coming in every year and uh, different, different coaches. And, uh, um, and now I think they're in their 14th or 15th year. And uh, um, it's turned into a really outstanding program. Absolutely. And to be able to have access to people like yourself in terms of development is just immeasurable. And talk to me a little bit about it, because I think, again, like a lot of coaches, 
can learn a lot of the X's and O's and a lot of what to coach on their own. But talk to me about the importance of the how to teach, which I know is really passionate for you. Yeah, I just I just think you um, you got to know what you want want, then you got to know how to teach it, and um, I think it helped me going through college, going through teaching school, um, doing my master's degree, and um, you know learning learning how to teach, not not basketball, but then when I became more involved in basketball, um, you know you had you had to. Uh, you know, with players, I mean, Peter Jensen, the, the Canadian national team sports psychologist, talks about the three factors that, you know, what, and um, it's the same with coaches. I mean, you have to spend a lot of time in self-development. Um, what's the investment you're going to put in yourself? And uh, we're always learning. I mean, I, lear- I learned a lot even after I left um, Frankfurt about four years ago, um, working with Nick Nurse, working with Kenny Atkinson, coaching in Russia. Um, you know, I, even at 60 years old, I was learning and changing things and adapting things. And, uh, I mean, this is a great profession. We're always learning and always, you know, and if you don't get better, um, you're not going to, you're going to be out of it pretty soon. You, you mentioned, uh, Peter Jensen and the, the three factors. Can, can you share those with us? Yeah. I mean, first of all, Peter's, um, he really helped me with, um, Goal setting, performance goals, identity. We did a lot of work together um, over the last three, four years when I was with Basketball Canada. Um, you know, a tremendous person. Um, um, Basketball Canada is very lucky to have him. I tried to take him away and get him to Germany. <laughs> Couldn't get him. <laughs> um, yeah, three factors is, you know, one, one, is, one is your genes. Two is your upbringing, which, you know, you, different things happen in your upbringing. And three is the investment you have in yourself. And Peter talks about, you know, this this third one is we can control. What kind of investment are we going to make in ourselves as a player or as a coach or whatever? And, you know, the first two factors, you don't have, you don't have much control of. It is what it is to a certain extent. But that third factor is, you know, what makes players. And we as coaches... We want players who want to make an investment in themselves who want to be better. The worst thing to go to do is go to a gym and be there with somebody who doesn't really want to be there, who doesn't want to be get better. So, um, yeah, I mean, Peter, Peter's written a bunch of books. And for me, that was I've given that book to coaches in Europe and uh, my assistant coaches with the national team here. I've given that book to them and they've read it. And uh, it's just it's a great book. My my takeaway, Ignite the Third Factor is the book I've read. And my takeaway from that one, the line that I love is manage yourself so others don't have to. And that's something that I've constantly shared, not just for me, but shared with players to get them to understand that, again, connecting the fact that we don't want to spend time managing you, just like you don't want to spend time managing us. Right. No, that's a great line. I mean, he had, I, to me, that's one of the best books I've read. As mm-hmm. far as- it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, you know, it's it's a simple read too. It's just down to earth, simple read. Um, really good. One of the other things that you talked about is kind of your evolution as a teacher of coaches, and saying that you used to teach a lot of defense, and now you focus a little bit more on teaching offensive concepts and clinics. Can you share why you've gone through that evolution, and then maybe maybe some of the ideas that you do share? Yeah, I think when I started coaching, I was I was probably about seventy five defense, twenty five offense, 
and now I'm the opposite. <laughs> um, I think offense takes longer to teach, um, especially today in today's game um, against the different defenses, different and and I think it takes longer to teach and um, probably more interesting. You can be a lot more positive. As I've got older, I've got a lot more positive. And, uh, um, you know, and I, I, I just, I just, um, you know, I, I, I mean, David Blatt told me, you know, um, one of the most, one of the best coaches in Europe and, and he's going through a tough time, health problem right now, really tough, but, um, I still stay in contact with him a lot. Um, uh, he's another guy I tried to get to Germany, but, but Nick wouldn't let him go. <laughs> um, you know, he's a guy who, who really got me going, you know, you, you got to teach more offense. You got to focus more on offense. And now, you know, when I start camp or this and that, we do three days of offensive concepts and uh, what we want to do. We don't get into defense with the national team until day, day four or day five. And it, it just takes longer to, longer to teach. Um, and also, I think you get players more, more in tune with stuff, right, when you get into offense. Um, and then you go to the defensive stuff because you start with defense, it kind of turns into a um, – some somewhat of a negative I found sometimes in the club. You start with offense, it becomes, you know, it's enjoyable, it's fun. You create an atmosphere, a little bit more of an atmosphere. And now you get into the defensive stuff. So um, you know, it's it's been interesting. Um, you know, what I do now, I did nothing to, I didn't do any of this 10, 15 years ago as far as what I do. Well, it speaks sure. to your development as a coach and constantly striving to be better and do better. And, uh, you know, you talked about connecting it a little bit to the player enjoyment, which I, I agree with. It's a huge factor. I know there's a lot of coaches that maybe are fearful of not doing defense right away or something like that, because in their mind, it diminishes the importance of it for their players. Can you talk about how you account for that? Because defense is obviously still important. It's just that you're not starting with it. No, I tell I tell the players right when we begin with. I mean, um, you know, we're going to go as far. We're going to we're going to be really good defense, and we're going to rebound the basketball. And um, um, and you know, to be successful, we need everybody to do dirty work. And we talk about that right away. But we also say, hey, it's going to take a little bit longer to, to put our offense in because we play with concepts, um, angles, and spacing. We're not just putting in plays and asking people to be robots. You know, we're putting in stuff where people have a chance to use their mind, be creative. And so I think <clears throat> I think it's important to explain to the team, uh, hey, um, defense is going to be a constant for us. Ro offense is going to be a little bit roller coaster. We're not going to shoot the ball great every game. Um, but defensively, we can be there every game. Rebounding, we can be there every game. You know, our, our, our defensive transition has to be there every game. And... Um, but we talk about this, um, and you know, and and for me to you know, it's, it's it's we teach a lot of stuff, but to a certain extent, it's what we emphasize, and and we get back and we emphasize emphasize that that later. Um, but I, I you know, and I flip flopped it. I used to do defense for seven eight days when I started, and now and now it's. I flip flop that and I start with offense. 
you talked you talked about some of the black and white on defense already, and that is another part of it that there's a little bit more black and white on defense in terms Absolutely. of the structure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, defense is equal opportunity. Um, you know, we talk about our roles and and um, but we say before everybody, you gotta defend your position, you gotta rebound your position, you gotta be able to execute an off half-court offense. Everybody's gotta be able to do that. There's no exceptions. And now comes our Pacific roles after that. And um, so, I mean, you know, and, and defensive, we, you know, we talk about our defensive transition. What are we doing? Where are we? Um, you know, when the ball's on one side, where, where are we? Pick and roll. We, and we're a little bit different than the NBA. We deny stuff, but we also go to an open stance. Defensive transition, we're open. Isolation, we're open. Pick and roll, we're open. So there's certain certain things we we talk about deny stance open stance but we try to be black and white what we're doing um, and um, you know it's there's there's um, this is the way we do it eh? and and the contrary on the offensive end we're going to give you a little more freedom um, but this is the way we're doing things on the defensive end. Are there areas where defensive decision making and concepts apply uh, in the modern game as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I. You know, we've had trouble with switching a little bit because players want to overhelp, mm. and uh, and we don't overhelp now. And um, you know, we play post defense a little bit in Europe differently. I mean, we 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 force baseline in the post still, and we'll trap everything in the post a lot of times. We won't let people play. Um, um, you know, so. We really had it. We really put in a defensive system, and it's it's something I still, you know, I've made some small adjustments in it, but it's still something. Hey, this is the system we're doing. This is what we're doing, um, and we build it one on one, two on two, three on three, four on four. We build it. This is what we're doing, and um, for me, it's pretty black and white. That's but there's, great. you know, play, but players have to make decisions sometimes too, and. Uh, and when we make decisions, sometimes we make the wrong decision. No problem. Um, effort mistakes, problem. It's great stuff. And uh, you, I mean, I, I'm wondering, because I've heard this from other coaches a little bit, not to get into the politics of the FIBA windows, because we don't want to get into that. But <clears throat> a certain amount of the FIBA windows from a pure coaching perspective is kind of fun, isn't it? Because you've got to constantly basically coach a new group and figure out solutions as a coach. Yeah, we have three days. Um, yeah. We have three days to get ready to play a game in game four, usually. And uh, um, remove know, we, the pressure from a pure coaching perspective. It's kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's different. Yeah. You know, especially when you haven't coached. I mean, with the German team, I just coached in the windows in the summertime. And then day two, coaching the windows, I'm exhausted. <laughs> no I, doubt. <laughs> but you have to you have to be really precise what you're doing. And uh um, keep it real simple. And, um, you know, in the windows, we basically, we put our offensive concepts in, we put three plays in, we put our defensive system in, we put our special situations in. That's what we had. Um, big believer in special situations. And uh, in the windows, a lot of times we just ran two plays. That's all we ran. And, uh, you know, we had to, we had to, we had to win on the defensive end. Because, you know, we, we had no EuroLeague players, no NBA players. 
we only had players from the German league and some of those players did not have big roles on their team. So, and some players were hurt. So we, um, it was, you, you know, it was a challenge. I mean, challenge is a good word. It's a good challenge. Yeah. It's basically like a different team each time you're coaching and, and uh, gotta be unique and different in terms of that. And uh, I know special situations are so important to you. So talk to us a little bit about how do you develop special situations and your team's understanding of those type of situations that you feel are important for success? Yeah. I mean, with like in the windows, even with the windows, um, Sideline out of bounds, offensive end, 14 seconds. We have basic two basic things we're doing. 10 seconds, something different. Um, seven seconds, we have something different. Uh, three seconds, one second. Same with baseline. We have all situations, but in the windows, we only have one thing we're doing at that time. You know, we can't put in two or three different things with one second. We have one thing. Um, and, um, you know, same thing in... Full court. We do the full court, same thing. They're shooting a free throw. We have five seconds to get the ball down the floor. We have to have something that we, um, you know, that we run where we create a situation. We don't have time to run a play. We have to put players in a situation where they can make a play. And so, um, you know, we, we are, my biggest thing is we have to be prepared for those situations that the players feel confident when, hey, one second on the clock baseline, we know what we're doing. And um, for me, special situations can really change the game. You turn it, you turn the ball over at that situation. It's a layup going down the other end. Momentum changes different things. So, and you score in that situation, it really creates momentum for you. So, I mean, and we work a lot on special on defensive special situations too. When we foul, where we foul, um, fouls to give. Um, you know, we we work we work on that situations too. So, so, in an ideal situation, say high school, college, your pro team, where you have multiple practices to be able to get ready, so not the FIBA windows. How are you developing these special situations? Are you are you doing them every day? Are you peppering them into practice at different times, or is this continuous phase within practice that you're doing it? Yeah, we we teach it five on zero, um, and then. There are a lot of times where I, I might not put something in, but I might draw it up during practice and then put it in. Because once, you know, in practice, if you're running a, a early direct and you call early direct, everybody knows what you're doing. So there's there's certain situations in practice uh, that, that situations that I might use as an ATO, I'll run in practice. And it gives me practice doing it and it gives them practice. Can they execute it? Um, but also we we play what we call we might we might play um especially in the middle of the week we might play a 10 point game we might put 2 minute then we put we, then say the score is 10-7 we'll put 2 minutes on the clock the last 2 minutes and we'll play that with and we'll say each team has one foul to give or no fouls to give and so now special situations come into effect on both the defensive end and the offensive end and so, so we're 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 learning how to play um, those situations in a practice situation. For me, you can't expect guys players to go into a game situation and do things we haven't done in practice. It's great stuff. And uh, you reference coaching with Nick Nurse, so I'm curious. Then one of the things that I think from the outside looking in is his adaptability is one of his strengths, his willingness to try different things. 
Is that something that you took away from him? Or what are some of the other things that you took away from being around him? No, absolutely. He's not afraid. I mean, I remember in the in the World Cup, we were playing Lithuania and, uh, or no, we were playing Australia. He came up and played a triangle and two to begin the second half. I remember and that. Not, yeah. 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 He's not afraid to do different things. And uh, um, so, I mean, it's one thing I, you know, don't be afraid. I mean, be aggressive. Yeah, be aggressive as a coach. Don't be afraid to try different things. And uh, he was a master, master at that. And um, um, yeah, and I mean, his tempo and practice was outstanding. A little bit different, a little something I had to adjust to. His hey, let's go, let's go, let's go. Hey, hey his, his tempo and practice was 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 really different than I was used to in Europe. His philosophy, the things he did, was completely different what I was used to in Europe. Um, so it, it was very interesting working with him, um, you know. And then I, I you know, I, I would coach his system in the windows when he was with the NBA team. But he also gave me the freedom, which was really good. About hey, you, you have this, but don't be afraid to try something different, depending on what your personnel is and this and that. So he was really open to different things. He's just a really good basketball mind. You, and he, you know, the one thing I really respect of Nick, um, you know, he, he started he, st- he started in Europe. He started in Great Britain. He was in Belgium, G League, a assistant. He went through the steps of working his way up um, to get where he is today. I mean, to me, it's tremendous respect. And, uh, and there are, you know, there's quite a few coaches like that, too. You might reference the the pace and practice, the tempo and practice. Is that a, is that quick transitions between drills? So he's not doing very long in drills, or is it just the tempo within each of the drills or each of the games that you're playing? Uh, both. I mean, yeah. it's boom, going from one drill to another drill. Um, you know, I've seen other coaches do that now too. You know, real quick tempo. You know, there's no, there's no, not much walking. Not, you know, hey, hey you got to think, you got to move, you got to go. And, uh, you know, it was really good. Did players seem to enjoy it? Because generally when you do that, the duration of practice is a little lower, but the intensity is a little bit higher. Absolutely. I think players, um, you know, the two, uh, two and a half hour, three hour practice in Europe are kind of tough sometimes. And uh, um, we tried to keep things, you know, um, you got warm ups. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about 50 minutes and hey, let's get things accomplished in 50 minutes. And now we got time for individual things after practice. And, um, you know, the tendency in Europe sometimes is some coaches will go three, four hours. And, uh, um, but uh, that doesn't know, align with the modern player, does it? No. And uh, the two a days have kind of are going away in Europe, too. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's tough. Two a days are tough on coaches, too. I mean, I prefer a little bit. Um, you know, get our individual work done, get in the weight room, come in, we get 50 minutes, we finish up with some individual and, and we're out of here. Guys are home with their families for dinner type thing. And that, of course, you talked about already and the importance of accounting for individuals within your practices. And that's, that allows for that. And that's the model I've seen in the NBA recently is obviously some players come in pre-practice, some players are post-practice, but the the middle is everyone together for not a very long time. So that's one of the reasons this is valuable too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think uh, Europe's taken that from the NBA. Um, yeah. I mean, we used to have you know two hour practices in the morning, two and a half hour practice in the evening. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of times by the end of the season, we have such a long season as it is, um, players are dead. And uh, um, so I, I think a lot, of, a lot of clubs in Europe have kind of gone, to, gone that way. All right, start with the end in mind. What's our long-term goal? And I, I have players set this. I put them in groups of three or four. They discuss, we talk about it, we get, we come up with our long-term goal. Um, I don't tell them what our goal is. I want them to decide what our goal is. They'll set higher goals, and now I can always come back to them and challenge them. Hey, you set this goal, and the stuff we're doing, you're doing off the floor, or this or that, or on the floor, doesn't, doesn't go to this goal. Then we set performance goals, which are measurable. Every day we, we set three. We do this as, as a team. And then we go into the identity. And with the identity, um, you know, we talk about, we want three things. We talk about one, how hard we're going to play, how smart we're going to play. And then the third one would be our behavior. So with the German team this summer, we came up with a toughness, togetherness, communication. The last two, we never really hit the, how smart we we're going to play, but um, this, is what we, this is what they decided. And for me, the identity is, is, is more important than the performance goals and the goals. If we don't have an identity, we're not getting to the, we're not getting to the goals. Um, so the identity is something we feel as a team and something the outside sees. You saw any great team, I mean, San Antonio Spurs, you saw an identity the way they played at that one time when they had Duncan Parker. Um, Philadelphia Flyers, way back in the day, you saw an identity the way they played. I mean, any great sports team, you see a real identity. Argentina, you saw a real good identity in the World Cup right now in soccer. Um, so we're really big on identity. And then, and then with um, roles, very big on roles. A, you know, coaches, we talk. Um, I sit down with each each player and I tell them what their role is going to be. And then I put them in a circle, the whole team, and I tell them hey, what player A's role is, what player B's role is, what player C. Everybody knows what every everybody else's role is, that we're all on the same page. And with that being said, <clears throat> roles can change. Injuries, performance, different things. Um, some coaches don't don't believe in a lot of roles. Uh, you know, I believe in roles. I just believe in, um, I mean, this is where we're at. This is where we're going. Everybody on the same page, and we're go going forward. Um, and some sometimes, you know, it's and it's tough. I mean, you got to get players to accept their roles. And the one thing I ask players, two things. I say, um, hey, are you coachable? One. And two, can I be honest with you? And, um, you know, and uh, the best coaches I played for were straightforward. You might not like what they told you, <laughs> but I tell you what, you respected it later. And um, so, and, you know, it's not easy as a coach to be real straightforward, to tell them what you think. But I think for me, that's the, what I've really tried to do, be straightforward. And um, the other thing I've tried to do, you know, as a head coach, you can't have a bad practice. If you have a bad practice, you're giving your players a chance to have a bad practice. Um, second thing, we all want our team to be a team, players to be a team. Coaching staff has to set the example of what a team is, and now our team has a chance to be a team.
Um, you know, if our coaching staff is not a team, if players don't see a team, um, we can't we can't expect our players to be a team. And that's one that for me, that's one of the biggest dynamics in this thing is hey, getting a group of twelve players to become a team. But that also go back to goal setting, identity, roles, everything. Everything kind of chimes together in what you're doing. And, you know, so, but I'll tell you one, one more thing about Peter Jensen. He's, he told me, he always, you know, I always said there's no I in team. Peter told me there is I in team. We need the individual talents. But first we need team. And that's what I really tried to stress with the German team this summer. Hey, we need, hey, we need Dennis Schroeder. We need your individual talents. Franz Wagner, we need your individual talents. Hey, we need everybody's individual talents. But first we need team, and then we need those individual talents. It made really a lot of sense with what Peter said. I love that phrasing. That's just a tremendous phrasing and a great way of putting it because, again, individuals matter, and they matter obviously more within the team. Um, just, just real quick, I want to ask about, so telling players the roles. Are you, you're sorting that with the player prior to telling the whole team? Is that yeah, how so it I, works in terms of the progression? Yeah, I'll sit, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with the coaches. We'll discuss each player. Um, I want the, the assistant coaches to have a say in what we're doing. And uh, listen, um, I'll write down the role, role of every player, and I'll meet with each player individually. And then I'll meet with the group to, exp to explain each player's role. And I'll talk when I meet with each player. I'll talk about expectations. You know, um, what the role is, the expectations, what they need to do better, um, what they're doing, what they're doing well. First of all, I'll start with what they're doing well, because you know, positive stuff is good right away. And then what they need to do better. Um, usually three positives to one negative, and um, then I'll then I'll sit around with the with the with the group and I'll explain each player's role. Um, to the whole group, every you know we're on the same page, and um, and some players, you know, and in the individual things, some players go out there a little bit disappointed, a little bit this and that, and you know it's my job to tell them how 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 they can change that, you know what can they do better to get a better role, but I also tell players this, hey, players tell me, players tell us coaches what their role should be how they practice, what they do in practice. And they tell us, you know, and, and, and a lot of times they make the decision pretty easy to, uh, for us. Um, with that being said, I don't start our five best players. Um, you know, you need players in that starting lineup that can impact the game without scoring. And for me, the sixth and seventh men are very, very important that they come into a basketball game and you become stronger. They bring something specific to the table that you become stronger because of what they bring. You know, so many teams, when they make those first two subs, they become weaker. You know, we want to become stronger on those first two subs. And, uh, you know, but when you build a team, you need to find team. You need, you need players that can impact the game without scoring. Sometimes it's harder to find those players than it is, you know, Aaron Dornikamp could impact the game without scoring. Phil Scrubs needed to score to impact the game. So, but you need both. Absolutely. 
Just tremendous stuff, coach. And just as we wrap up, uh, any other advice to coaches on their coaching journey? Uh, you've been on an incredible journey and incredible success at so many levels. So anything you'd like to share? Um, yeah, no, my journey's been a little bit tough. I mean, I coached three EuroLeague teams and I had some, some tough health problems and it kind of put me in the sidelines for about four or five years. But I was fortunate that, you know, Frankfurt really took care of me and a lot of teams wouldn't have. Um, help me through stuff um you know i just think you got to try i think you got to go day by day um you can control what how how you how you do things you can't control what other people you know what other people think on the outside um right now i think the old kind of negative ruthless coaching styles kind of gone away a little bit in europe more the the new positive, energetic um, style has come in, but really where you hold players accountable still. Um, I, th I think one of the big things with coaches is you got to educate yourself, um, develop a philosophy, build, adapt to that philosophy as you go along, and, and re really focus on self-development, getting yourself better. Um, and I think the more times you get around different coaches, the more you'll learn. Absolutely. Well, coach, uh, as a proud Canadian, I was proud to watch you coach the German national team and have great success and was cheering for you. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Just so many amazing insights for all of us as coaches. Um, my pleasure. Thank you. Coach, thanks for listening to the Basketball Podcast. We appreciate your ongoing support. Please consider going to basketballimmersion.com and immersionvideos.com to check out all the products we have to offer. We appreciate your support and we look forward to continuing to share the game with you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Thank you.